My name is Jeremy, and we're really, really glad that you're here with us today. We're going to continue on in our series, Walking Through the Book of Romans, and we find ourselves in Romans chapter 13. If you're following along, uh, if you want to follow along um, in the Bibles um, that are around the seats there, if you didn't bring your own, it's on page 552, so you can get there quickly. Uh, the, The verses will be on the screens to my left and to my right. And like I said, we are in Romans chapter 13, and we've been going through the book of Romans for several months now, and we're in the last, I guess, quarter of the book, very, very close to getting done. Start with verse 1, we're going to go through verse 7 today. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, Honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray for the God's word. Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for um, revealing yourself to us in Scripture. We know we can come to Scripture and we're reading the very words of you. And we thank you for that. As we, like we do every Sunday, we just ask that you would. Uh, soften our minds and soften our hearts, and I pray that we would put ourselves under the Scripture, not over the Scripture this morning. I pray that uh, we would allow the Scripture to, to, to do what the Scripture wants to do, to change us, and that we would um, really be humble as we approach the Scripture. And I pray, God, that your Spirit would change us this morning, change our minds, change our hearts, change our emotions, And I pray you would change the way we live as a result of looking at this text. We love you. We love your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today's topic is a a difficult one. It's a difficult topic. We're talking about being subject to the governing authorities or submitting ourselves to the governing authorities. It's a difficult topic, but it's also, I think, a very important and timely topic. It's important and timely because um, the trends show that living in the United States and doing ministry in this country is going to get more and more difficult. Laws are being passed all the time that restrict more and more the religious liberty um, that, that uh, communities of faith have. If you go to other parts of the world, or other parts of the country, excuse me, you'll already see this taking place. And so, as a, as a church and as a, as a pastor and a leader in the church, I'm always thinking of how is this going to change the way we do things? And will it change the way we do things? And kind of trying to look at the trend. So I think how we relate to government 
is a very, very important thing, asking what does the scripture have to say about how we approach government? So we're going to look at that today. But it's also difficult because we're talking about submitting or being subject to authority. In our day and age, authority is, and it's kind of the, that comes along with the postmodern or um, aftermodernism, whatever time period you want to think we're living in. It's this idea that, that all authority should be questioned, that we should be suspicious of authority, whether that be parental, in school, in church, government. Authority is just questioned now so much more than it was 50, 60 years ago. It's, it's, it's kind of, we, we live in the age of the God of self in a lot of ways. I want to do what I want to do. I don't need other people telling me what to do or how to live. This is my life, and I'm going to live it this way as I choose. Okay, and this is the world we live in. Okay, so this is a hard passage to hear when Paul is, is commanding us to submit or be subject to the government authorities. Now, in Romans, this is chapter 13, and in chapter 12, we just saw after Paul unpacking in the first 11 chapters of Romans, this is who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. He gets to chapter 12, and he starts to get very specific about these different areas of our lives. In light of what Jesus has done, in light of the gospel, here's how we are to live. Chapter 12, we saw how to love one another, how to use our gifts to benefit uh, the body, how to um, love our enemies and not take vengeance into our hands, but let God have the vengeance, and vengeance is his. And then the next thing he's going to touch on here is submitting or being subject to the governing authorities. And this passage is going to teach one primary thing. This isn't a confusing passage. It's a very straightforward passage. It doesn't make it easy to obey it, though. The, the, the primary thing that this passage is teaching is that the role of a Christian citizen is to submit to governing authorities. Okay? How are we to relate to governing authorities? And that's the primary thing that Paul is trying to teach us in this passage. There is a secondary thing we're going to touch on. Kind of indirectly, um, I think that Paul is talking to the authorities here a little bit. He's actually talking to the state, the governing rulers, and we'll touch on that as well. And then we'll answer the big what-if question, the elephant in the room by the time we get there, this what-if question. And we'll answer it, I promise. And then at the end, we're going to talk about just some practical takeaways from this passage as we leave here. So let's, let's tackle that first one. The role of the Christian citizen. Verse 1. Paul says, let every person be subject to governing authorities. Be subject there. You could also translate, other translations say, submit to. This idea, this word of be subject to is just a voluntary attitude of giving in or cooperating with someone or, or an entity. Um, another place in scripture we see this echoed is, is from the apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2. He says, be subject to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or unto governors as sent by him. Okay, so this isn't an isolated teaching in the scriptures. Now, here's the deal. We got to think about who Paul was originally writing to here. His original audience was the church in Rome. And Paul wrote this book at a time that a guy was ruling Rome named Nero. Ruled from 54 to 68 AD. So when, right, fell in, right in the middle of when Paul was writing this. This was an evil, evil man. One of the most evil uh, leaders the world has ever known, especially 
to Christians and especially to the church. So remember, the people, the church is hearing what Paul is saying here and they know who their leader is. Here's a little background on Nero. He probably had something to do with the death of his father. He definitely had his mother killed five years into his reign. Uh, The famous philosopher Seneca was his tutor and mentor. He brought up some charges against him during his reign and forced Seneca to commit suicide. Most people considered him a tyrant. He lived an extravagant and licentious life. And kind of the big event that happened that affected the church the most was a fire that happened in Rome in AD 67, I believe. This fire was set, most historians and the evidence points to Nero actually setting this fire to clear this certain area of Rome so he could rebuild a, a palace and his house, a house to himself, have statues and fountains and those kinds of things around it. So most people think, historians think that Nero set the fire. Hundreds of people died in the fire. It burned a lot more of the city than just that little area. And so there was a lot of damage. So Nero, because he did not like Christians in the church, he used them as a scapegoat. He actually publicly blamed the fire on the church, on Christians. This turned the city against the church, and it gave him even more freedom to kill and persecute and try to eradicate the church. He did things to Christians like burning them and crucifying them. That was typical, though, in the Roman Empire as punishment. But he also invented ways to persecute Christians. And I'll try to not be too graphic here, but he would cover them in wax, light them up on fire, and hang them on posts at night so people could know how to to, to find their way along the path. This is Christians he did this to. He would also take a a fresh carcass uh, from a dead animal and he would take the skin and, and sew it to the Christians. And then he would um, let wild dogs have their way with the carcasses. Because dogs like that thing. But the Christians were covered in the carcasses of the dog. And he would do this for entertainment, for sport. Usually in a, a coliseum or a room. And he would invite people to watch the Christians be killed. This was Emperor Nero. So this, when you're reading this, think of what the Roman Christian was thinking when he says, be subject to the authorities. Be subject to the authorities. So let's start over and let's continue on and we're going to go through this passage. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. So why in the world would Paul tell us to submit to authorities? And we're kind of wanting him to like qualify this or caveat this, but you'll see no qualifications in this passage. No, no caveats on this to the level of submission that we need to have. So why? Well, the first reason is given in uh, verses 1 and 2 here, because God has appointed them. God has appointed rulers and he's given rulers the authority they have. And this is a teaching all throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament. If God is sovereign, he is providentially involved in our world, and he is involved in who is leading nations and countries. Again, very simple and direct statement here from Paul. 1 Kings 
12, 15, I want to give you a picture of this from the Old Testament. There's a wicked, one of the most wicked kings, King Jeroboam. This is talking about him. It says, so the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke. Okay? And so obviously this is, this is the Old Testament here saying, okay, yeah, the wicked king here, it was God's plan. God appointed this person. Okay? So that's number one. The reason why he's asked us to do this, because he put him, it's God's plan. He put the people who are in authority in authority. The second thing is that we receive benefits from our submission. It's wise to submit. Let's look at verses three and four. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So this, the second point here, and we get benefit, and the benefit is that, that, that rulers and authorities keep chaos under control. Most forms of government at least keep the chaos down. Okay? You see in countries that don't have strong governments, or maybe they have no government at all at the present time, it is absolute chaos. It's every man for himself. There's no safety. The bad is not punished. The good is not rewarded. Okay? So we should be thankful that we have an authority that can actually punish bad, deter bad behavior, and to reward or um, create an environment where, where good behavior um, can flourish. And now this, this idea of bearing the sword here just means hand, handing down judgment according to the law. Okay? Handing down judgment, being able to punish wrongdoing according to the law set forth by that state or that nation. Okay, so it's our benefit to have, to have authorities and rulers, okay? And just to give you an illustration here, I was thinking about this this week. Can you imagine the feeling of frustration that if a couple of days before Christmas, say you have kids too, a couple of days before Christmas, and um, thieves break into your house. They steal everything of any value in your house. Steal all the presents that you were going to give to your kids, um, they steal electronics, they steal valuable heirlooms, they steal pictures, they steal anything of, in, of value. You get home and find this, okay? Normally, we're frustrated, we're mad, we're angry, but we immediately call 911. We kind of pass that, 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 almost that frustration, we give that over to the police authorities because we trust that they have a job to do to find the thieves. But imagine if there is no 911. Imagine if there is no police force. Imagine if there is no law that says stealing is punishable. First, you get frustrated, and there's nowhere for that frustration to go. And then it, you, you become enraged. And that enragement gives into, well, something's got to be done about these guys. I'm going to go find them. So you take the law into your own hands. Take weapons. You're going to get vengeance. Vengeance is yours, kind of going back to the last chapter. Vengeance is yours now. And how dangerous and how chaotic if all the citizens are wielding the sword of punishment. That's dangerous. I know that would be dangerous for me if that happened to me to go try to find this person on my own. There would be a lot of violence. Okay, so we should be thankful that we have the authorities in, in place. It prevents chaos from reigning. That's the second reason why Paul tells us to be subject to the authorities. Let's continue on. Verse 5. 
Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So he's saying that he brings up this idea of conscience. And all this is, he's saying it's not done just to, just to keep God's wrath off of us. It's done out of conscience. He says there's something inside of us that should tell us that having governing authority is a good thing. That's why I think when we go to countries maybe that are unsafe, there's just something inside of you that says this is, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Like this disorder, this... Um, this level of disorder, it's not right. And I think that's just the conscience that, that Paul is attesting to here. So the last thing, the last why here is, is because it's fair. Okay, if governing authorities have been put into place, they carry out a job, they are, they are owed for that job. They are due a wage. And this is where the taxes come in. Some of us don't like to talk about paying taxes, but this is what he's saying the taxes go to, to take care of the people that God has put in authority to do the jobs that we benefit from, okay? And he also brings up this idea of, of, of honor and respect, and I think this goes beyond just paying taxes, but we're to, we're to show honor to our authorities. We're to respect our authorities, the governing authorities of our country. In Matthew twenty two twenty one. That famous conversation that Jesus has about the coin. He says, give to Caesars what is Caesars and give to God what is God's. And what he's saying there, if it belongs to Caesar according to the laws, if it's Caesars, give it to him. Give to Caesar what is Caesars. Okay, and I think that's, we'll come back to that passage here in a second. So in this passage, we've seen that, that Paul is teaching that we are to be subject to the governing authorities. I think that's clear. It's not hard to see that. Secondly, and indirectly, he's talking to the state, the, the, the governing authorities, and he's really saying, here's your job in a perfect world. In a perfect world, you um, punish the bad, you deter the bad, and you reward the good. Right relationships, right behavior, you, but you also restrain and punish the evil. Okay, And, and, and if God was be able to verbally talk to governing authorities, this is what he would say. This is your job. I've put you in place to do this. Now, that doesn't always happen. We'll get to there in a second. Um, but also, you'll see that it really gives us a good guideline for the extremes of governance. Like, we shouldn't have this, uh, this dictator, uh, uber-controlling government that kind of controls everything the people do then we also should have this other form of government, all the way on the other end, that has this completely hands-off and doesn't, doesn't really get involved with bad behavior and doesn't create an environment where good behavior will be rewarded, okay? So it kind of eliminates these two polar extremes of, government, of governance and the fact that, yes, the government is to be involved, but it's to be involved in these areas. Um, so that brings us to the giant what-if, part three of the sermon. Okay, Paul is telling us to submit to the authorities, and we've seen that in Romans 13, 1 Peter 2. Um, we also see in John 19, Jesus here um, really having this conversation with the, with the authorities, and here's what he says with Pilate, actually. He says to Pilate in verse 10, chapter 19, so Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. 
So he's, Jesus is actually kind of teaching what Paul, or Paul is teaching what Jesus said here, however you want to look at it. Jesus is saying, Pilate, like, take it easy on the pride. The only reason why you're here is because God put you here. So don't, don't get too puffed up in front of me. You're only making decisions because my father is allowing it, by the way. And then we see Jesus. So Jesus is echoing what Paul's teaching here. And then he, we know that he lays down his life. After that, he doesn't defend himself. He's completely innocent, doesn't defend himself, doesn't dig in his heels, doesn't fight back. He could have wiped out everyone on the spot had he wanted to. He could have called down wrath from God. It would have been done. But Jesus and his wisdom and God's plan knew that the purpose of Jesus coming wasn't to overthrow this particular government. That wasn't what Jesus was here to do. Now, he will come back with a flaming sword in his second coming, and he will have vengeance and judgment will happen. That is going to happen. We know that. But in this moment, Jesus gives us a model of humility and how to um, respect the government. And he laid down his life in humility, um, death, crucifixion, torture, all of that. He laid down his life for that. So we have these mo- and we have another model from Paul when he's talking to, to King Agrippa at, at, towards the end of Acts. Okay, Agrippa's kind of got him on trial there. Paul digs in his heels a little bit, kind of pushes back a little bit, but he's respectful and he is um, honorable to Agrippa. But here's the deal here. So anytime you're looking at Scripture, you have a couple of uh, choices here. When you come across passages, we should always interpret Scripture with other Scripture. Okay, we shouldn't run to the commentaries. We shouldn't run to outside sources. When you come across a passage here, we should always ask, well, how does this fit together with other teachings in Scripture? Okay, so let's do that now. Let's go um, at some um, other examples of Scripture. We've looked at the ones on this side. Let's look at the ones on the other side, okay? And we'll call this examples of civil disobedience. Ex- examples of civil disobedience. So in Exodus 1, 21, 20 and 21, this is where Pharaoh is leading Egypt, and he wants to get rid of the Jews. wants to wipe them out. Best way to wipe out a a race of people is to get them to stop having babies or to kill the babies. This is what Pharaoh orders. Hey, kill all the Jewish babies that are born. And we see we have the midwives that are kind of, that have access to the babies right after they were born. And so we pick this up in verse 20. So God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So the midwives completely ignored what the the ruling of Pharaoh probably would have been punished and killed had he found them out doing this. But they would take the babies and hide them, let them grow up, kind kind of conceal the fact that they were Jewish. Okay, so the midwives knew that what Pharaoh was ordering them to do contradicted the will of God. God would not want innocent babies being murdered. He wouldn't want that, so they stepped in. They took it upon themselves, um, could have gotten punished, but they didn't. This is how Moses comes to grow up in stature and become um, such an influential uh, leader was because of the midwives. Now, in, in Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel, you have two occasions of this. You have these three guys, funny names. They've Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel chapter 3. These guys, um, the, the, the king says, hey, when this music plays, when every time you hear this music, you bow down. So the music comes on. They chose not to bow down. They get put in a fiery furnace with the intention of killing them, and God protects them, protects them in the fire. They come out, and they are rewarded with some, some level of stature in that country. Different king now, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel says, again, they want him to worship. They want Daniel to worship the God, the king, and, and that idea of God in, in that country. 
Daniel says no. They throw Daniel in a lion's den. Daniel disobeys. Lion's den, close the lion's mouth. Daniel is spared. Daniel now has a greater influence in the country, okay? And so, and we also see Peter, some of the early leaders of the church in Acts 5. Peter and the other guys are preaching the gospel. They get thrown in jail. They get released. And the authorities are like, hey, you know what? You can't preach the gospel anymore. You're done. And, and, and they're like, we can't stop preaching the gospel. We can't do that. That's, that's, that we're not going to do that. And so they say um, in, in verse five, chapter 5, verse 29, they say, but Peter said, and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And I think that's a good tension principle to the submit to governing authorities. Yes, we should do that. However, we should obey God rather than men. Okay, and that's the tension that we kind of live in as Christian citizens. Let's go back to Matthew twenty-two twenty-one, Back to that conversation about the coin. I, I kind of brushed over the second half of that verse a minute ago. He does say, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Pay your taxes. Kind of go, go under the law. This, this isn't a hill to die on here. Pay, pay to Caesar what's due to Caesar, but give to God's the thing that are God, the thing that are God's. Now, there's a lot of interpretation there because if I'm hearing that, you're, you're still like, Okay, like, what does that really mean? Like, how do we live that out? And so we're going to get to that here in a second and try to put um, some handles to this as we, as we live. Um, so I think the, the governing thing here, the thing, the, the principle here leaving here is that our posture, like Jesus, like Paul, should be of one of submission, should be humble. We should respect and honor authorities, even the ones we disagree with. Again, we're talking about Nero here. Like we, I don't care what you think about this leader or what you thought about the last leader, wherever you fall here, it's not as bad as Nero. And yet the scriptures are clear in what they're asking the original audience to do. We should be humble. However, there seems to be a place in the scriptures for this thing that we can call civil disobedience. That if anything goes against the word of God, any rule or law, then we don't have to obey it. Now, it's not in this chaotic way. Again, with humility, with respect, with honor. Hey, we, we're, this goes against God's law. Like, we can't, we can't um, disobey God. So we're going to go with God on this one. And I think that's the tension that we live in here. Now, one thing I want to say that built into this idea of, of submission and being subject to, any, really anywhere throughout the Scripture, is... Um, um, this, this idea of wh- whoever is, if you're even in, in parenting, in marriage, in the governing authorities, the one that is the authority here, there's, a, there's an assumption here that the one who is being submitted to is following God, is serving God, is, is, is trying to, 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 to live out the will of God. That's the assumption whenever be subject to or submission is mentioned in the scriptures, okay? So that's why we desire to have people in authority that love the Bible, love Jesus, follow God's ways, those kinds of things, because it will be easier or it'll take less effort for us to submit to them, because that's what we should want. Now, I want to talk uh, briefly to those of maybe you in the room who aren't followers of Jesus. One question I want to bring up here, because I think this applies to you as well. Like when, when you are, don't want to obey the government, or, they, or the government is doing something or did something or asked you to do something that you don't want to do, what do you appeal to? Like, what do you appeal to when you feel like you don't want to obey the government? Like, what's the thing that you're saying, no, because of that, I don't have to obey you? Because what's dangerous is just going by, hey, I don't feel like obeying this. 
Or I don't feel like you should be over authority over me, and that's it, so I'm not obeying. Okay? There's, there's just not a, lot of, uh, there's not a lot of weight to that. There's not a lot of foundation here. We'll come back to this in a second, but I just want you to think about that. When you think something is wrong, that the government's doing something wrong, you're making a decision in an election or something, what are you appealing to? Just, just, I, want, I want that to sit there, and we'll come, come back to, to that here in a second. Okay, so let's put some handles on this. How does this look lived out in our life? Okay, what does this really look like, okay? So when is the time for civil disobedience? I think that's one question that comes up. When is the time for civil disobedience? The easy answer is anytime it contradicts Scripture, there's at least an opportunity, I think, the Bible gives us for civil disobedience. Now, some of these things, I think, um, in, in our society are um, how the government treats people of other races, um, how um, we need to stand up for the unborn, we need to serve and love pregnant women, we need to do everything we can to make sure the poor are taken care of. There's some equality in, in that area. Um, we need to, uh, if freedom of speech or freedom of religion start to get pulled, and by, and by, by freedom of religion, by any faith, by any faith community, if that starts to get pulled away, we need to step in and let our voice be heard and, let, and, and say that that's not right. That's not, that's not what um, we should have in our country. And you'll notice a lot of those, and I just want to tie this back to Scripture, kind of come out of this idea in Genesis 1.27 that all human beings are made in the image of God. That's what theologians call the imago Dei. It's what it means in Latin, the image of God. And that's what we appeal to as followers of Jesus, that all human beings deserve dignity and respect and a chance to flourish. That's what that is. That, that's what that teaches there. If you're made in the image of God, you are. You, you are. Um, you can demand certain rights. You have something. Some rights that are um, as a part of your essence. Okay. So that's one easy thing to to kind of filter things through that the government's doing is is this walking out Genesis one twenty seven? Are we treating um, all human beings with sanctity, the sanctity of human life? from the unborn to the born to different races to the poor to the elderly? Like, are we about human life and seeing people flourish? That should be one of the things that we're always thinking about as it relates to our government. Now, how do we do this? What are some ways? Well, I think the easy one in our country is voting. That's the beauty about a democracy is that, like, we get a vote. We get a vote. So that's, that's, again, that's not, that's, that's, we're one of many people and we need to vote. So that, that is a way to let our voice be heard based off of what we read in the scriptures. Now, we also have voices through writing or teaching or preaching or having conversations with people, maybe influential people, calling your local congressman or woman, you know, like f- talk to people who are influential and have power in our um, law-giving system. And I think there's also a place for protesting. I think protesting done in a nonviolent and humble way is an acceptable thing. I think we have that right as citizens, okay? Um, now, again, when we do have, practice civil disobedience, we need to look at Jesus. How did Jesus practice civil disobedience? With humility, with respect, with honor, okay? I disagree with you, and I'm going to let you know it, but I'm going to do it in such a way because you are a governing authority, and God has called me to some degree. There's some tension there to submit to you and, and the laws to a certain degree, okay? Um, we see that in Paul. Again, like I said, before King Agrippa, he dug in his heels. He was preaching the gospel. They told him not to. He originally got killed, and got killed for it um, later on, but in those trials, he was very respectful, it seems, to King Agrippa. Now, I want to mention something real quick here. Um, There's a little bit of a side note, but something I just feel that I need to say in this day and age is social media, okay? This is just my opinion, 
But I think social media is a really poor way to practice civil disobedience. Because if we're going to do this with humility and respect, I know that like when I read some of those exchanges, like there's, even if you intend to show humility and respect, there's just not a lot of humility or respect that can be, that can be found in those exchanges. Okay, so I would just say, before you post and before you click, like think about, is this furthering the cause? Is this, or is this just airing my frustrations? How would Jesus approach this? Like, what does this do for my witness and my faith as, as everyone else, either Twitter or Facebook or whatever, can watch this exchange happening? And I'm just as tempted as I read that stuff. I just want to go, boom. I, I mean, I want to do it. But I just think, like, okay, like, what's going to happen here? Like, is, this, is my cause going to go forward from doing this? So I'm not telling you what to do here. This is my opinion, but just something that I, I, I've seen a lot, and I just want to caution us as followers of Jesus, what does it look like to be a good citizen and how we use social media to um, practice this idea of civil disobedience, okay? So how, a couple of points here um, to wrap up. How does this look lived out? Number one, be good citizens. Be good citizens. And the, if we had time to go into, we'll hit it next week, but uh, the next three verses in chapter 13, he, Paul goes back and starts quoting the Ten Commandments. I think that's a good like just rule of, of, of living. If you practice the Ten Commandments, you'll probably be a pretty good citizen. The New Testament uses the word aliens for us. Like we have an identity that's not of this world. We have another home, but we're here for a, a relatively long period of time as citizens. So th- th- there's, that, there's that tension there. And I think the best place to really see this, and I wish we could, we maybe will come back to this at some point and do a whole sermon of this, but Jeremiah 29, four through seven is a great passage. And I encourage you to go home, read it. Imagine what this looks like in a place where maybe there's some restrictions on how you are living. Jeremiah 29, four through seven. I think this is like a really crucial thing for the church to start practicing and being ready for as potentially our religious freedoms as a church start to start to shrink a little bit in the coming years. This is, uh, uh, the Babylonians have just conquered the Jer- Jerusalem and the Jews. They're under their control now, and the Jews are frustrated and mad. Here's, but God, here's what God tells them to do in Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, like that I have sent into exile, notice that, from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare." So he's saying here, there's no fighting here. There's no, hey, do a coup and overthrow the government and, and make all these waves. No, he says, do what you were doing in Jerusalem and in your Jewish cities, do them in Babylon. And over time, as you now don't assimilate completely into the culture, keep your identity as, as Jewish people, keep these identities strong, who you are, but live like normal citizens, be good citizens. And through that living in these basic kind of places in everyday life, the city will be changed and the Babylonians will know who I am and the welfare of the city will increase and you'll receive welfare if you do this, okay? So there's again a promise from God in the scriptures that if you're a good citizen and you work to see the good, for the good of the city, then you're gonna benefit from that because you're in that city. Okay, so be a good citizen, number one. Number two, know your word, know the Bible because here's the deal. Like 
if you're going to practice civil disobedience, the only reason we should be practicing civil disobedience is because it contradicts Scripture. There's something in Scripture that the government's doing that's, not, that's going completely against what we believe. So we have to know our word by, by, by definition. And it's not taking one verse and running off and saying, hey, based on this one verse, I'm going to... No, like, know your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Look at other verses. Uh, look up verses that have to do. Take these, these hot-button issues in our culture and know what Scripture applies to this. Why am I feeling this way? Are these feelings because this is my preference? Or is this my conscience and the spirit and justice saying, that's not right? Because it could be just a preference. And you're just like, ah, I don't really like the way they do this. But is that backed up by Scripture? Which is, again, one of the reasons why we have to know our word. We need to be people of the word so we know how to react and relate to the governing authorities. Third, we need to pray for the authorities. The scripture tells us, I believe in 1 Timothy, it says, pray for the rulers, pray for kings, pray for your authorities, okay? No matter who, who it's there, again, bad, bad people, at the time Paul's writing this, saying pray for them, pray for them. And I think the last one, just to encourage to have faith, have faith through the Spirit, ask the Spirit to give you faith and hope and not have a doom and gloom attitude about the condition of our country. Trust in God's promises, Trust in the passages like Jeremiah 29, that if, if, we, if we're good citizens, we can see places be changed. Um, there, there, there are churches all over the world, Christians all over the world right now who are suffering under oppressive, evil, evil governments. And honestly, in most of those places, the church is actually growing and growing quicker than it is in, in our country and, and the West, where we have, tend to have more religious liberties and freedoms. So don't no panic. There's a promise out there that says, my church will be built and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God's church will be built. Doesn't promise where it gets built or what time frame it gets built in which country. He just says the church will get built. And it is getting built around the country, I mean, around the world in different places, even though sometimes in our country we think um, maybe the church isn't growing as fast as we want it to. So here's where the gospel comes to this, and this is where I'm going to close. The gospel should produce humility in us. If, this, if this, uh, this starts to well up things inside of you, Romans 13, I would ask, what, are you saying you deserve something? Like, do you deserve something? Because the gospel tells us we didn't deserve anything. The only thing that we deserve was God's wrath, and the only thing that saved us was God's grace through faith. And if we go back, that's when we go back to the gospel, it makes us a humble people. And it makes us a people that are more likely to be subject to our authorities and respect authorities and honor authorities, even those who we disagree with. And the gospel also gives us hope because we know that one day in the future, Jesus will come back and he will set up an earthly kingdom. It's new heavens and new earth. We will have new cities, a new earth with a benevolent father-like leader. The submission will be, will, be, will be worshiping him. That's how we're going to submit to him. We won't be forced to submit. We won't have to vote. We'll get to just worship and glorify God for who he is. That will happen. It's coming. So allow the gospel and what's happening in the future to shape the way that we can get through some tough stuff now. We can get through some tough stuff as it relates to our government in this life because we know where things are headed. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for, again, your word. We um, just ask to give us wisdom. 
We need so much wisdom in this area. Um, we know that um, we're to obey you over men. We know that, and um, we get that from reading your word, but sometimes when day-to-day life comes and things that happen that we don't like or people that are in power that we don't care for, um, it becomes difficult. It's hard to figure out where do, we, where do we practice civil disobedience and what does your word say about certain things and how, much, how far can I go in these areas? And those are questions that are still left kind of up to our wisdom and the spirit and the community and talking to other Christians and those kinds of things. And so I pray that you would give us wisdom. I pray that we would be people who want to submit to your word and to know your word and to submit to you first and foremost. And you tell us to be humble to government authorities. We want to be humble in that space. But also give us the boldness and the strength to to fight for justice, to have loud, loud voices on behalf of those who maybe have no voice or the government is not protecting in certain ways. And I just pray that through your word, you would change us today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before Jesus went to the cross, he observed communion with his followers, his closest followers. He took bread. He says, this bread represents my body broken for you. And he tore it in front of them. And he took a cup and he says, this cup represents the blood that will be shed for you, covering past, present, and future sin. And he said, to do this often, to remember the gospel, to remember what I've done, to remember the things I taught you, do this often together as a community. And that's what we're about to do now. So those of you who are followers of Jesus in here, here's what I want you to do in the space that we provide here in a second. I want you to just think about, um, I want you to think about the future. I want you to think about the, the, the new heavens and the new earth. I want you to dwell on this hope we have that comes as a result of the gospel, that is promised in our word, that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's purpose through his church. It won't. And I, and I, and I want that to produce feelings of, of hope that you know, we may have 80, 90 years if we're, if we're blessed on this life, but then it'll be over, and then it'll be forever in eternity. Scripture says our life's like a mist. It's here today and gone tomorrow in, when you look at eternity. So pain will be temporary, whatever level of pain you're experiencing from potentially authority. It'll be temporary. So I want you to dwell on the hope, and I pray that hope would produce inside of you some affection, some joy, some freedom to live this life and not be paralyzed and not be overly consumed with what's going on in Washington, D.C. Okay, that we can be good citizens and not be worried about things so much. That's just kind of the, the sense I get from people sometimes. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, um, I, w- I, would, I would just ask you to think about the future as well. Like what happens after these 80 years? Because if, if, you're, if you're oppressed for 80 years while you're on earth by evil authorities, what hope, what hope do we have? If there's no hope after this life, then yeah, you, you better bank on the authorities because they'll control a lot of how you live and those kinds of things. Okay, so you better put a lot of trust and hope and faith in governing authorities and earthly rulers if there's nothing after this. But if, if you want hope, 
There is hope offered to you through Jesus. So if you're not here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I would pray that you would consider putting your faith and trust in him and the fact that he, he re- removed the wrath of God from those who have faith in him. And he, you will live forever in eternity in the new heavens and the new earth with God, Jesus, Spirit, the, the benevolent king forever. Blows away any earthly king you could possibly imagine. So think about that. And if you want to profess faith today, if you want to, if you want to um, say, yes, I have faith, I believe, I want, to, I want to believe the gospel, then you can come forward and take communion as well when we invite you to come forward and head to the back of the room. But if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're still wrestling with this, this, this issue kind of brings up a lot of things and if, you know, past issues with authority and all sorts of thorny things. And so if you need to talk, then please come see me, come ask the person who brought you, discuss this process. This isn't easy. This isn't easy for any of us to live out, even followers of Jesus. So, but if that's you, I'd invite you to just stay where you're at. This, this uh, communion thing we're about to do is for followers of Jesus only. But I'd really love to talk to you if, that, if I just described you there. So take a couple of minutes, dwell on the hope that we have in Christ, and come. There'll be two stations up here, one in the back, and whenever you're ready, um, take communion.